Let me read on. It's next week's reading, but that's the way I am. After Peter has denied Jesus and the cock began to crow, it then says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner in in the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. About uh, a week ago, on Facebook, I read these words. Before you diagnose yourself with depression or low self-esteem, first make sure that you're not, in fact, just surrounded by stupid, mean, contemptible people. Now, that's a paraphrase, but you will get the drift. Before you diagnose yourself with depression or or low self-esteem, first make sure that you're not, in fact, just surrounded by mean, contemptible people. In other words, what might be going on within me and you might have as much, if not more, to do with the voices around us than actually to do with who we are ourselves. Listening to the voices around us can cause us to drop into depression or low self-esteem when actually there's nothing within ourselves that should cause such a response. We're going to come to that as we go. But I want to take us in this, these two dramatic readings that Roberta did and then uh, that I've just followed up with, this part of John chapter 18, and I want us to look at the different players and can we learn anything from the different players in this drama? Are there a few insights that we might learn about our own lives? First of all, the Jews. You can see that it's building up. All the way through John, we've seen some of this opposition to Jesus. They haven't liked Jesus from the very start when Herod 
who wasn't really Jewish, went out after him to kill him. His whole life in all of the Gospels, and we've seen it very much in John's, is with the religious leaders of his day going after him. And we see at this point of the play, in these verses that we've just read, that basically the hatred the Jews had for Jesus had caused them to lose all the rationale. They weren't thinking or seeing straight at all. They had lost any grace they might have. They had lost their very humanity. If we see what happened in that reading, they're wanting to keep their law as closely as they can. So they don't want to go into Herod's house at the time of the Passover. So they stay outside Herod's house at the time of the Passover because that would make them unclean for the Passover. So they're meticulously trying to keep the laws of God while they try to kill God. They're so caught up in the law that they're missing the very truth. They even get to the point where they say, we have no king but Caesar. That is just blasphemy. They're so intent in this one issue of getting this man executed that they're prepared to have no other king but Caesar. If they remember the Old Testament scriptures at all, they shouldn't have any king but God. One commentator says, it is a terrible picture. The hatred of the Jews turned them into a maddened mob of shrieking, frenzied fanatics. In all their hatred, they forgot all mercy, all sense of proportion, all justice, all their principles, even God. What happens to us when there's just something some little friction between us and somebody else. When maybe somebody does something that we don't like, or maybe in some way, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, maybe causes us some hurt. Can we go at it a little bit like the Jews, where we just build it and build it and build it, and in the midst of the friction that we have, maybe not even known to the other person, we lose all our rationale. We lose all our sense of proportion. We lose all justice and grace and mercy. It spins out of control. We need to be aware of such feelings within ourselves. But the other thing in this about the Jews is that sometimes, sometimes... We lock up all the swings in Ballymena parks on a Sunday to meticulously keep the law while cross-community relations are such that we'll never, never, never trust the other side. We can hypocritically be meticulous in keeping what we think is God's laws and miss something Huge. 
These are not what the sermon's about, but I'm just pointing them out as we go. Let's get to the main characters, Peter and Pilate. And let's remember this as we read about Peter and Pilate. You've probably read these stories before and you probably have opinions on who Peter is at this point and who Pilate is at this point. But let's go one thing straight when we're talking about people. Complexity. Complexity. We never see it one-dimensionally. We always see it one-dimensionally, but we never should, is what I'm saying. Something happens, and we see it in the moment, and we see it as it is, and somebody does something. Let's think for a minute that a famous footballer bites somebody else in the middle of the World Cup. And immediately, that's our one-dimensional view of it. It's an incident that we think, my word, that shouldn't happen on a football pitch. It shouldn't happen in the World Cup. It shouldn't happen on television across the world. It shouldn't be an example to young people. We need to respond in the one-dimensional. Andy Murray might have responded in more of the complexity. He should have been asked the question, what is Andy Murray at Wimbledon doing talking about a footballer who bit another footballer? But he said, there's obviously something wrong there. It wasn't a bite of one footballer to another footballer. That's a one-dimensional view of it. This is the third bite that we've had from the same player. So there must be something going on in the life of someone that is really complex. Might have to do with childhood. Might have to do with situations that he had no control over. It's caused him to do something that, yes, there should be a response to immediately on the effect of it. But we pastorally need to think more of the complexities of it to see if we can help the person in the one-dimensional situation. As a friend of mine's father used to say to him, don't judge other people on the one-dimensional. He didn't use the one-dimensional. I've added it in. Don't judge other people because you don't know what kind of life they have. We're very quick to judge. We're very quick to judge one-dimensionally. We need to begin to look at the complexities. So what about Peter's complexities? Peter, in this story, has been seen as a bit of a coward, weak, willed, couldn't stand up for Jesus. That might be your one-dimensional look at it. But let's think about it a wee bit more. Who's there? Who's there? Who's in the story? Who's following Jesus when he's taken to first the high priest and then to Pilate? Who's in the courtyard? Is Andrew? Is James? Is Matthew? Who of the disciples is courageous and strong enough not to run away, but to be there at this moment of real tension? This is not a weak man. This is a courageous man. He followed Jesus. He loved Jesus to the point that he couldn't leave Jesus and go and run for his own cover. And don't forget in the complexity of the story is that we have an advantage in the story and that we now look back to the Peter who headed up the church. This is not a weak person. This is somebody that Jesus saw underneath the one-dimensional saw the stuff that was going on in Peter's life 
and was aware that this guy has the potential to lead the church in the early days of the church. So what was going on then? What was going on? In some ways, Jesus, in some ways, Peter at this point didn't really deny Jesus as much as he denied his very self. And the words that are used are very interesting. He says, I am not. And if we want to look at that over literary, we might say he's actually denying, I'm, I'm, I'm a void here. I'm not myself here. I am not here. I am in denial of my true beliefs, etc., etc. Complex. But why did he say no? Could it have been the voices around him? Could it have been that when Peter wanted to look in himself to be depressed and have low self-esteem, that he needed to realize that at this point of his life, he was just hanging out with very mean people. Pilate. What about Pilate? Well, he's a governor, it says here. Prefect. He's in a place in the Middle East that's under stress. Nothing changes there. It's an inhospitable place. It's hostile. Different language. And he's been sent here. He's basically a career politician. He's been sent here and he's saying to himself, if I do a good job here, if nothing goes too wrong here, then maybe I'll get sent to somewhere near home, which will be a wee bit better than this I almost used the word God for second place, but actually, if we think about that, it's quite ironic. He was there because corn was the oil of that day. The corn supply from Egypt to get back to Rome for all the people that they had to feed in Rome had to go through here, and therefore we needed to keep calm here so that we could get the corn supply back home. Pilate arrived probably AD 26. And after AD 37, we don't hear much about him, though if you go on to some web pages and you hear some of the stories that are, he may even have eventually committed suicide a number of years after that. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. How did he know Jesus was innocent? It becomes very clear in the story that we've just read that Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus at all. And the reason for that would not have been just for that incident that he had with Jesus right there, because Jesus points it out, have you... Have you heard about me? Have you heard about me? And yes, he had heard about him through the Jewish leaders that wanted to get him killed. But don't be thinking for a minute that Pilate and his secret police wouldn't have been asking questions about who this Jesus guy is that is coming into Jerusalem with all this praise last Sunday um, uh, and then suddenly all this problem's happening now. Pilate would have known exactly who Jesus was. And Pilate wanted to free Jesus. He tried to do it three or four times in the reading we've just had right here and now. So why didn't he? Because Pilate had got himself into a place where the voices around him were causing him to make decisions that were against who he was and what he believed to be true. Now next week we'll look at Jesus who in the midst of these people denying who they are and denying all that they believe stands up for who he is and what he believes but we'll not get there until next week what we have to consider here is why did Pilate 
give in. Well, the voices around him were saying, do you know what? You've had a few problems with these people before. And if you get this one wrong, and if there's tensions out of this one, then your career could be gone. The voices, the pressures, the people around him caused him not to have a sense of who he was. Pilate, Peter, before you diagnose yourselves with depression or low self-esteem, first make sure that you're not, in fact, just surrounded by those mean, judgmental people. How do you feel about yourself this morning? How would you stand into a situation that Peter was in or that Pilate was in But take yourself out of those situations because it's not likely that you'll certainly be in a situation where you would have to decide whether to crucify the Son of God or not. You may well be in a situation in work or in wherever you are where somebody will ask you if you're a follower of Jesus and that becomes more difficult. Why does it become more difficult? Because of these voices around us. Because of who we've surrounded ourselves with. Maybe not surrounded ourselves with them intentionally all of the time, but surrounded by them all the same. At Carter's baptism just a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that poem that you used about the juggling balls. You're throwing all these juggling balls. The people around you throw them at you. You're surrounded by parents. You're surrounded by people at school. You're surrounded by teachers. You're surrounded by your peers. You're surrounded by people in work. You're surrounded by the cool people. You're surrounded by the people that you want to belong to but that you maybe can't belong to. You're surrounded by people all the time who are asking of you to catch their ball and juggle their ball and keep it in the air because if you don't keep it in the air, then you're going to lose something. What are you going to lose? Are you going to lose yourself? Or are you going to lose the person they want you to be? What one is it? Peter had juggling balls thrown at him and he dropped them. Pilate is trying to juggle what they're going to be thinking back in Rome, what they're going to be thinking and the Jewish people here and what's going to happen wherever. Juggling balls. Trying to please the voices and the people that we've surrounded ourselves with. Are the people around you stupid and mean? Are they causing you to hear different voices so to deny who you are in Christ? A number of years ago I did a series about our basic psychological needs. I'm also very worried about the expertise in the house as I say this. But many would say that what we all need in our lives is love, security and significance. Love, security, and significance. The key is where we're going to find that. Are we going to find that in the people we surround ourselves with? What if they don't love us? What if they don't make us feel insecure? What if they don't give us a place of significance or purpose? How will that make us feel? Will we look for those things in the wrong place? Or as the people of God... Will we find those things in God? How do we deal with the voices? How do we deal with the secularization in the world? Where now on the radio every day, there seems to be somebody else laughing at the very idea that people would believe in God or certainly be Christians. 
What about postmodernism and all its relativism? And the voice of that in our heads trying to change the way we think. Or what about modernism in all its scientific objective thinking and clean-cut conclusions? What about the voices in our head? Voices of worldviews and mindsets and the radio and the television and the magazines and the person sitting beside you in the pew and the person that you'll be in work with tomorrow and the person that lives beside you. How do we deal with all of these voices? Well, Jesus prepared the way in the chapters before. He said to us that we need to attach ourselves to the vine that is Jesus. We needed to love one another. We needed to be one as Jesus and God were one. We needed to realize that the glory of God has been given from Jesus to us. So whatever voice is in our heads, whatever voice is wanting our attention, whatever voice makes us feel the way we do and think the way we do, if we could have a community somewhere, if we could have a community somewhere that loved us as we are by the grace of God, if we could have the body of Jesus on earth in some new sense of community, would that help us as we try to juggle the balls? Would that help us to feel less less low self-esteem, more self-esteem, and less depressed? What if we knew that God was within us and that Jesus loved us as we are. What if we knew that? Oh, the other people don't. The other voices don't. But what if we knew that right now, in this moment and time, that we cannot be loved any more than we are loved by God? That we can't be more secure in that love than we are right now at this point. That we cannot be more significant in the world because we are children of God where Jesus has given his glory to us. How would that affect our self-esteem? How would that affect our sense of depression? Before we diagnose ourselves with depression or low self-esteem, what if we realized who we are in Jesus, attached to the vine, one with the Father, one with each other. How would that have affected Peter? He didn't know it yet. He didn't know it yet. He would, but he didn't know it yet. Or Pilate, who would never know it. And what about us as we walk out the door today? And what about us as we are those who surround others? In coming into this building today, and maybe going on of having a cup of tea and cannot tell you, there's a plate of Trebex over there that's worth dying for. I wouldn't linger in the pew this morning if I were you. But what if in this community we were the surrounders of others? What if this was a place that every Sunday you could be sure that you were going to be loved unconditionally? What if every Sunday this was a place where you came and you knew 
that you were one with other people. Where you were going to be encouraged, where you were going to be inspired, where you were going to get an arm around you and made yourself feel that you belonged to a group of people, not any group of people, but the people of God. How are we doing at being those kinds of people? How are we as surrounders as well as who are we surrounding ourselves with? It may have been that Peter at this point was surrounded by nobody. Just one other disciple that we're not sure who it might have been. The rest have scattered Jesus up there. Pilate was a long way from home. He was worried about what they were thinking thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away. What about us? Who are you surrounded by? And how are you doing as a surrounder? And do you know this morning, because of the relationship you have with the people around you, that you're loved, that that love's secure, you're a significant child of God, and therefore, low self-esteem or depression, they may be there, and I'm not saying that in a sermon you're going to get it taken away, but it could be the very thing that begins to lift such feelings. Let's find ourselves surrounded. Let's be surrounders. Let's never say, I am not. Let's pray. Lord, there are voices all around us all of the time. We are surrounded by various different kinds of people. We pray, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit to listen to the other voices and particularly the voice of God. We pray that as others would try to diminish us, judge us, damn us, that we would hear the voice of God saying, you are loved. And I demonstrated my love for you in this, that Christ died for us. Lord, may we be surrounders in a fellowship like Fitzroy, may we be a place where people can come and be affirmed. Where people can come and be themselves and find an unconditional grace. Lord, may we create within Fitzroy this alternative community that helps us to deal with the outside voices because within our fellowship, we hear the true voice. Lord, this morning, in this moment, may your voice break into the other voices with truth and grace and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.